Hi friends, welcome to The Date Escape. I'm your host, Cassandra Ryder. Today's episode is sponsored by Aged and Infused. It's been a while since we've done a solo episode. I hope you've been enjoying all of the wonderful people that I have been interviewing. I know I'm biased when I say that because I have only interviewed my family. But in future episodes, I'm going to branch out and bring in some other communication experts to learn from as we process whatever the heck bad dates are. And they are so varied and there are so many different iterations and I just want to hear all about them. That's truly all I want to do. I am so close to finishing up my final semester for my PhD program and I truly just want to interview people about their bad date experiences and then share them with you all. I mean, that sounds like a pretty nice life. So I'm trying my best to kind of squeeze in a solo episode for you all to keep up with my monthly commitment of bringing you episodes about all of the different variations of bad dates. I am so excited for the future interview episodes that I have coming up, but I wanted to take a moment to have a solo episode with you all to play catch up and tell you some of the bad date stories listeners have sent in, which by the way, thank you all so much for sending in your stories. They have been an absolute delight and horror to read, and I can't wait to hear more of them. If you are listening to this episode and you're thinking, gosh, I do have a bad date story, but I don't know if it's interesting enough to be related to communication theory and or concepts. To that, I say it is most definitely interesting. I absolutely want to hear it. And I hope you email it to the date escape podcast at gmail.com. Once again, send all of your bad date stories to the date escape podcast at gmail.com. I look forward to hearing all of your bad date stories. And if you don't have a bad date story, count your blessings and also ask your friends to not only listen to the podcast, but also send in their bad date stories. My inbox is always open and welcoming to bad date stories. As a reminder, if you do want to send in your bad date story, I will read it on the podcast. I will only reference you according to the first letter of your first name or the first letter of your email address. Everything can be anonymous. I don't want to ruin anyone's lives, careers, homes, etc. With all that said, I have two listener stories that I'd like to share with you all today, and I have some really fun theories and concepts that can help us make sense of what the heck is happening in these bad date stories. Okay, here is listener story number one from B, who uses he, him pronouns. I also highly recommend that you all email me with your pronouns. I want to make sure I'm referring to folks anonymously and also with the correct pronouns. That's very important to me. All right, here it is. B goes, I met this guy online who lived about two hours away. We decided to meet up halfway, which just so happened to be a small beach town. We decided to get breakfast and talked for hours, really hitting it off. What kind of music do you like? There's this Japanese jazz pianist who I really like. Wait, do you mean Hitomi Uehara? What? You know who that is? Yes, her rendition of I've Got Rhythm is genius. This is a nice dialogue back and forth. I love this in vivo writing here. That kind of mind-blowing revelation hitting it off. We definitely didn't want the date to end, so we decided to head to the beach to continue our soulmate-worthy conversation. Being the planner that I am, I figured there may be a chance we'd head up to the beach, so I brought the essentials, blanket, towels, sunscreen. We arrived, got set up, and continued like we hadn't stopped. I was so enthralled with this guy. Nothing else mattered but us talking and getting to know each other. The sun eventually began to set and we figured, hey, we both traveled a bit to get here. Let's keep it going with dinner. Dinner continued the same. Towards the end, I started to feel a bit queasy, which was weird because I hadn't eaten anything that unusual. Maybe I was just really excited about the prospect of starting something with this person that I was beginning to fall for. Dinner ended, we kissed in the parking lot, swoon, and headed our separate ways. 
By the time I got home, I felt so incredibly sick and exhausted. I went straight for the bathroom and finally realized why I felt so terrible. In my infatuation, I had completely forgotten to apply sunscreen and was now fantastically sunburnt. So much so, small blisters had started forming on my face. I'd facepalm, but that would be too painful. I told myself it was worth it because I had just had one of the best dates of my life. I put an ice pack on my face, texted him that I had a wonderful time, and he never responded. And then B ends the email by saying, thank you again for everything you're doing. I look forward to many episodes to come. Well, first of all, thank you, B. I appreciate the support. And also I am so sorry that this wonderful, beautiful date that you had with this person you met through online dating not only resulted in physical pain from the blisters from your sunburn, but also how did this person not respond to you after this beautiful date? I'm just so sad. As I was first reading that email, I was like, wow, this sounds so beautiful. Meeting in a beach town, having the same fascination and interest in a jazz pianist and liking the same song, which by the way, uh, B also sent me the YouTube link for the I've Got Rhythm rendition from Hitomi Uehara, and it is wonderful. So I highly recommend that you all go to YouTube and watch it. Very much so worth the watch. So B, I am so sorry that that person never reached out to you. And I also thank you for this opportunity to talk about ghosting. In my research on bad dates, ghosting comes up, unfortunately, very frequently, both in the terms of someone having a bad date and then choosing to ghost somebody else, but also this bad date is a particularly tough situation because it sounds like it had all of the properties of being a really good first date, a really good solid first connection with someone, especially from an online dating platform. And then for it to end in ghosting, I can imagine is just truly painful and really upsetting, disappointing, et cetera, et cetera. There are so many emotions we could apply to that situation. Maybe you're listening and you're thinking to yourself, I have had similar experiences where I thought I had a good date, but then this person ghosted me. And look, something I tell my college students in my classrooms is that in order to be a competent communicator, which we're all trying to be, especially if you are a student in a communication class and also if you are listening to this podcast, we all want to be better. In order to be a competent communicator, according to the field of communication, there are many skills and techniques that we must have. The first skill of a competent communicator is having a large repertoire of skills. I always tell my students to think about this concept as having like a, a communication toolbox where you have lots of different tools in there. You know what techniques to use, you know what's going to be effective and appropriate given who you're talking to in the situation that you're in. Building upon that component, the second component of being a competent communicator is being adaptable. So again, having that toolbox, knowing which skills that you have available to you, and then the adaptability is knowing when to use it and with who. Also with adaptability is knowing kind of how to switch or kind of turn on a dime given what's happening in the situation. Like you might be using one technique, say communication with humor, and then you notice someone's not laughing at your jokes and they're kind of rolling their eyes and maybe sighing dramatically. And so as a good competent communicator, we'd say, okay, that's definitely not working. What can I shift to? That example goes into the third component of being a competent communicator, which is knowing how to perform those communication skills successfully. Knowing how to communicate skillfully and successfully is absolutely going to help people be more competent and a better communicator. Empathy and having the ability to take the perspective of others is also a key central component of being a competent communicator. Empathy, if you've ever taken any communication classes, empathy comes up truly every chapter. It's just such an important skill. Knowing how to not only listen to people, but to communicate that you understand their feelings and that you are feeling their feelings with them. Right. Sympathy is feeling for people. Empathy is feeling with people. And the ability to communicate that successfully is the gift that keeps on giving with communication. 
The final principle of being a competent communicator is this concept of cognitive complexity. When you are a competent communicator, you're able to be cognitively complex about how you think about and interpret other people's communication. So I'll I'll read this from the textbook just to be real clear. Cognitive complexity is the ability to construct a variety of different frameworks for viewing an issue. So say you're texting your best friend and they don't respond to you for five hours. We have a lot of different ways we can understand and interpret that communication. We can interpret their silence as um, them being rude and being mad at us, to which that might cause some panic, some spiraling. What did I do wrong? What did I say? But that's not the only way we can approach understanding someone's communication. At this point, I always ask my students, you know, like, let's brainstorm other reasons why it would take your best friend five hours to respond to you. And very quickly, they'd say, well, maybe they are driving, which they should not be texting, to which I say, yes, I agree. Maybe they got caught up with talking with friends, family. Maybe they're at work. Maybe a crisis happened and they're not able to be near their phone. Maybe they lost their phone. Maybe it's lost somewhere in a store or it fell in a lake or something, et cetera, et cetera. So the ability to kind of understand that we might have an initial gut reaction to kind of coding and understanding and interpreting someone else's communication signals, but that might not always be the correct reason. That might not be the correct interpretation. So I wanted to kind of give that context because I think with ghosting, having someone go radio silent on you, our immediate reaction can be, this person's ghosting me because they didn't like me. I'm not good enough. I'm not attractive enough. I wasn't charming enough. I wasn't funny enough, on and on and on. And unfortunately, human attraction is very complex. And so are our reasons for not being attracted to people. And so yes, in the realm of possibility, the reason why someone ghosts somebody else might be because the attraction's not there. The chemistry is not there. It's always best when ghosting is mutual, like people both mutually come to this conclusion of like, yeah, that wasn't a good option. And then we're just kind of mutually fading out, but it can be really painful. Like for B, whose listener story I just read, it can be really sad to be on the receiving end of a kind of one-sided ghosting. However, similar to the exercise that I do with my students, I think it's really helpful to think about other reasons why somebody might ghost. Maybe, And again, if you have more thoughts, you can let me know in an email, but someone might go someone who they had a really good first date with because maybe that made them realize they're not ready to go into a relationship, to pursue someone romantically. Maybe the first date reminded them that yes, they can have fun with other people, but maybe they're still recovering from a previous breakup and it just feels like too much too soon. In which case it has nothing to do with the other person and everything to do with what the other person is going through. Also, you know, crises do happen very unexpectedly and out of the blue. So, you know, God forbid, but maybe somebody is ghosting somebody else because something tragic happened both within them or someone they love or care about in a very rare situation, but definitely in the realm of possibility that person could have lost their phone, deleted the dating app that they were communicating on, forgot their password and just said, screw it. I'm not going to forget and reset my password over and over and over again. Also, maybe they're going on a lot of first dates and maybe became first date saturated and just said, you know what? I need a break. This is too much right now. That is not an all encompassing or exhaustive list about reasons why someone would ghost, but it helps kind of get us in this mindset about how we respond to B's story about being ghosted by someone who they had a really great time with. Of course, understanding or kind of hypothesizing as to why someone would ghost does not negate our emotional reaction to it, which again, I kind of explained earlier, there's a whole host of predominantly negative emotions that we would feel in response to being ghosted. Now, I have named this podcast The Date Escape for many reasons. I like how it sounds. It sounds very catchy, but also I have a fascination with how we end bad dates. 
And so with that, I have to turn to communication research and I'm drawn to the literature on how we end relationships. Now I know dates and relationships are not the same thing, but the communication we use to stop contact with someone is very similar. And so ghosting as a communication strategy for terminating a relationship, terminating a date, terminating a new kind of connection with someone romantically, ghosting is known as a unilateral and indirect communication strategy. Okay, what does that mean? Unilateral just means one-sided. You know, it's not reciprocal, it's not mutual. In this case, B's date made the unilateral decision to ghost B. Which again, I know we just walked through cognitive complexity, but I do feel like in this day and age, because we know online dating is ripe with terrible experiences, disappointment abound, I do feel like as a culture, as a society, I'd like to see us have more direct communication strategies. I just think we owe it to ourselves and to other humans in which we're trying to form connections with to just tell them, hey, this is not working out for me. You're a great person, but this is not gonna work out. But okay, ghosting is a unilateral communication strategy. It's also indirect because we're just kind of fading into the background. We're not telling anyone directly why we're not wanting to date them. We are just fading. The communication definition for ghosting is a term that refers to stopping all contact, such as texting, snapping, seeing each other as a way to break up or signal that one is no longer interested in someone. Now, I don't know, and I'm not familiar with the literature on ghosting in terms of how appropriate we feel that it is a communication strategy. My personal opinion is we are dating other humans and humans are complex. We have lots of emotions, we have lots going on. And so I'm always in favor of being more direct than not in terms of cutting off contact with people for whatever reasons, romantically, platonically, familially. I just think we owe it to ourselves and other people to directly explain that as to why we're stopping contact. I think there's a lot of debate around when ghosting is appropriate. Can you ghost someone if you've only been talking to them on an online dating platform, if you've only been texting, if you've only FaceTimed, if you've only had one date with them, two dates, three dates, five dates, I think we have a lot of kind of subjectivity in terms of how we define the appropriateness of ghosting. If you have strong feelings about when it's appropriate and when it's not appropriate to ghost people, please let me know. What I do know is that research shows that ghosting happens very rarely after a long-term committed relationship. It does happen more frequently in these kind of low stakes, low emotional involvement, low commitment, relationships. With that said, I think first dates definitely fall into that category. But again, think that we owe it to ourselves and other people to be more direct, be more open, be more vulnerable. And if someone makes fun of you for being vulnerable and direct, that's on them. And to bring it all back around, it shows that they are not a competent communicator and that it is time to move on. Other research on ghosting does show that it is a disrespectful way to end a communication, a partnership, a date with someone. So we do acknowledge that that's kind of already inherently setting people up to have some negative feelings if they are on the receiving end of the ghosting. And also I understand why people ghost. If you'll remember in episode two of this podcast, I shared one of my own bad date stories in which there was a mutual ghosting. And so TLDR, I went on a date with this person. It was fine. We really didn't have anything in common, but it was just, it was just not going anywhere, anywhere fast. So we both just never reached out. It was a mutual ghosting. And honestly, it was very ideal, but ghosting as a communication technique makes a lot of sense because it's really easy. It's really easy just to cut someone off completely and never talk to them ever again. Again, may not be the nicest, most respectful thing to do, 
but it is an easy choice just to go cold turkey and never reach out to anyone. So on one hand, it's very popular because it's easy to do and it takes less time and less emotional capacity for the other person to explain why they're choosing not to go on with this relationship. And so again, the research, it makes sense in my head. It makes sense as to why folks would do it. I just wonder what dating would look like, especially online dating. I wonder what online dating would look like if we moved away from ghosting and just kind of said some uncomfortable heart things to other people where it's like, I think you're a good person. I want the best for you. I don't think I'm going to be the best fit for you. And I wish you well on that journey. I just think it can be that easy. Also, people could have terrible reactions to that, that we have no control over that, unfortunately, but we can do our best as good, solid communicators and just be really direct and transparent about what we're going through. Also, research shows that ghosting is more likely to be done when the relationship or the partnership or the whatever ship was just not that serious to begin with. And again, this makes sense. If it's not serious, we're maybe not going to want to put the emotional investment, the communication energy into letting someone down, which feels really terrible to do. Thank you for listening to my rant about ghosting. I'll just wrap up this listener story by saying, once again, B, I'm so sorry that you got ghosted. I hope you went on to find love or other meaningful partnerships and had more and more good first dates and less and less bad dates. Thank you again for writing in your story. I wish you the best in your dating journey. And thank you for giving us an opportunity to talk about ghosting. I was like, I just feel like this is going to come up sooner rather than later. And look, There it is. Before we go into our second listener bad date story, I'd like to turn the floor over to Aged and Infused. Do you love making cocktails at home? Do you love supporting small businesses? Well, then you got to check out Aged and Infused, friends. The Chicago local business crafts delicious, all-natural alcohol infusion kits that help you craft a better drink come happy hour or any hour. With locally sourced ingredients like oranges, cinnamon, cranberries, and cloves, these kits make a delicious addition to any home bar. Just add your favorite spirit, wait three days, and voila, happy hour is here. Visit agedandinfused.com to shop the full line, explore cocktail recipes, and more. Cheers, friends. Welcome back. Here we are diving into our second listener bad date story. This bad date story comes to us from H. H, thank you very much for sending in your story. So H says, here is my best bad date story. My friend had recommended her old ballet partner as a climbing partner for me after she had already moved away. She showed me his picture from Instagram and I was like, yeah, I've seen him at the gym. So then the next time I saw him at the gym, it was too awkward to show him his own Instagram screenshot and say, we're supposed to be friends. And then in parentheses, H goes, obviously I wouldn't do that, but he was super involved in his gym experience and it was hard to find a way in. End parentheses. No lie, I find this dude on Tinder that night. Pause. This is Cassandra coming in. Uh, The algorithm of Tinder is very powerful. So I just feel like, I just feel like even when the app is not open, something about the geographical location, it's kind of like taking in people who you might've walked past that day and then showing you that person later that night. I just feel like that's probably happening on the back end. Uh, If you're listening to this podcast and you work at Tinder and you'd like to confirm my theory, I'd love to hear from you. Also, I'd like a free sweater. Thank you very much. Okay, (laughs) going back to H's story. No lie, I find this dude on Tinder that night, swipe right, match, wait forever for this conversation to get rolling. He feeds me a bunch of BS with woke relationship vocabulary and how he is poly and he values communication, transparency, honesty, respect, yada, yada, all this wonderful sounding stuff that I was like, okay, perhaps we can do a little more than climb. We climb a few times, sleep together once. He disappears to Nepal for some crazy mountaineering adventure for several weeks and still don't hear from him. Then out of nowhere, 
Mr. Communication drops back in like it is normal to not talk to someone for two months, in parentheses, when he totally had internet access for a majority of that time, and I know because I'm creepy and checked his WhatsApp timestamp, hoping he would talk to me, in parentheses. I ignored this and was like, whatever. Even though this guy has been condescending and competitive and holding the power, I obviously ignored too much. Here is where the bad date happens. We agree to go skiing. I borrow his wife's skis, in parentheses, weird in itself, in parentheses. I drive to his house and we carpool one hour-ish to the ski slopes. Turns out better than expected. Stop for food on the way home and for the first time have a bit of communication that didn't feel condescending or competitive. As soon as we pulled into his driveway, I was like, WTF, something isn't right. I looked at him and I was like, uh, um... I think I'm high. Do you feel normal? He continued to be his normal, judgmental, condescending self and dismissed me completely and didn't show any concern. I was starting to experience things in flip book style, like broken scenes. Nothing is making sense and I can't even interpret vocal inflections or body language anymore, which as a pause, um, sounds absolutely horrifying. <laughs> okay, jumping back in. I'm either having a psychotic break or I unknowingly took a high dose of drugs. Somehow we were inside his house, maybe teleportation, who knows? My mind was broken. So he tries to make out with me on the couch and I am trying to figure out how to get to a place where I can feel emotionally safe riding out this storm of paranoia and confusion. I am trying to save face and be kind to him, act socially appropriate while I'm literally too high to function. I kind of slide off his couch out the front door while rambling some nonsense and trying to get to my car. In parentheses, probably shouldn't have driven, but I had no other real options at that time. In parentheses. While unintentionally maintaining a steady five miles per hour under the speed limit, I managed to go get to a CVS, buy a drug screen test, and pee in this cup to realize, in fact, I am stoned. Relieved it wasn't a psychotic break, I texted the guy to prove I wasn't crazy. I get a sort of okay type of response with no real interest in my well-being. Then I laid on my floor for hours making images in the popcorn ceiling and I wasn't sober until I woke up in the morning. The next day I called the restaurant, told them I was super high after I ate there and he confessed to cooking with weed on the same stove earlier and admitted there must have been some contamination and was deeply apologetic. <laughs> Oh, my date, however, showed nothing but great judgment and condescension. So in an attempt to end things with him, he tried to pretend like ending things was his idea and responded in sort of, you can't fire me, I quit kind of fashion. This was via text. Genuinely feel like the universe was trying to show me the dangers of putting up with disrespectful men. The restaurant owner who accidentally dosed me in the first place called back to check on me and showed greater compassion and concern than my date. Hashtag still single. Oh boy, H, thank you so much for sharing your story. I am so sorry that happened. That was, there were so many twists and turns to that story. Let's just start with number one, the communication you were getting from your date. I absolutely agree with you that he was being super disrespectful. Anyone who communicates some level of authority, whether that's through being condescending or judgmental, is never going to be received well. Like, I guess we can communicatively make sense of that by just thinking that he had like a huge ego and really wanted to show his kind of power in that situation, which all of that, even just saying that just feels gross. And so like, ugh, that was already setting the stage for a bad date, let alone the fact that you literally got accidentally dosed by the restaurant that you went to. I mean, 
That is truly wild. I mean, horrifying from a food safety perspective. I'm glad that you eventually were okay, but I can imagine the extreme panic you must have felt being like, why am I suddenly not, <laughs> why am I suddenly not based in reality anymore? I'm happy that the restaurant owner showed you more compassion and concern. And I think that relates back to what I was talking about earlier with being a competent communicator empathy. I think the restaurant owner was being very empathetic to the situation that he created and really wanted to follow through and, and see how you were doing. So A plus to the restaurant owner, minus the fact that, you know, wash your dishes if you have cooked with weed. It just feels pretty straightforward, but you know, worth mentioning. But also I'm going to go back to this point in your story where you talk about saving face. I love whenever someone says this phrase, you know, we hear it all the time, like, oh, I don't want to go to this party. I'm trying to save face. Because whenever I hear someone say that, that is directly linking back to one of my favorite communication theories, which is face theory. And I'm not just talking about, you know, two eyes and nose and a mouth on someone's head. Face theory gets a little more intense than that. So this concept we hear all the time known as saving face is actually rooted in something called face work, which comes from politeness theory. Now, politeness theory in general focuses on the specific ways that people manage and save face using communication. So in H's story, they were talking about saving face while they were trying to keep up with communicating with their date while simultaneously realizing that they are too high to function. And I think, well, this is a very unique situation, um, you know, accidentally ingesting weed <laughs> on a first date. Not a really normal experience, at least I hope it's not normal, but I think this idea of saving face while on a first date especially is very relatable. So face work gives us a few different types of faces or basically how we want to appear to others. What kind of presentation or performance or front do we want to put up? This might feel a little deceptive and, and I guess the root of it kind of is if we're not being totally genuine or totally transparent, but I think it's a very, very normal human experience. We have different faces from face work, such as positive face, competence face, fellowship face, negative face. But the one I'll focus on for today, as I think it relates best to this story, is the concept of positive face. Positive face speaks to the favorable image that people hope to portray to others and to have validated by others. Another way of thinking about positive face is that it's the best face we put forward so that others will like us. And it sounds like that's exactly what H was doing, trying to kind of appear that everything was normal, everything's fine, everything's going great, while simultaneously, everything is not going great. Something is wrong. <laughs> Something is very, very wrong. I bring this up just to relate this to communication research and also to speak to the fact that if you're listening to this podcast and you relate to this experience where it's like you're having an experience, you're communicating with someone, maybe it's a date, maybe it's not, but you're just like either internally freaking out or worried about something or you're concerned or you're kind of like plotting how you want to leave that communication experience because something has gone totally wrong you are probably experiencing positive face. If you are taking the road of not being direct and like really transparent about communicating to the other person that something is wrong, <laughs> you have to go, you must leave. If you're kind of putting on that, that face, putting on that presentation that everything is fine, when in reality it's not, now you know that there's actually a communication concept that supports that exact experience known as positive face. Now to even go more in depth, so face work is the attempt to maintain our identity and support the identity of other people. So face work is a two way street. We have this presentation we want to put off, but we're also trying to accommodate other people's face and, and make it so that we're not embarrassing them or making them feel bad. And so when I hear H talk about how their date was engaging in a condescending tone and just being superior and judgmental, I think that is a face threatening act. 
So this is a face threatening act from the date. If the date was trying to maintain a positive face with you with being likable, uh, wanting to facilitate maybe a romantic or sexual attraction or relationship, uh, they were definitely doing the opposite by engaging in that really kind of nasty nonverbal tone of communicating that they are being judgy towards somebody else, judgy, judgmental, condescending, all things that as good competent communicators, we definitely want to avoid. And so when somebody does talk in a superior way, that can be seen as a face threatening act, which again, kind of pokes holes in someone's attempt to appear likable, which I think definitely happened in this case. So H, thank you again for sharing your story. I'm sorry that you're still single. I wish you the best in your dating life and your dating experiences. And I hope you never run into that person ever again. I also hope that you never go to a restaurant where you accidentally get high out of your mind <laughs> from simply just eating food. What a nightmare. What a true horrifying nightmare that lets us understand communication concepts and theories. That's my nice little way of putting a bow on this episode. All right, friends, thank you all so much for listening. If listening to this episode has made you realize that you have your own bad date stories and you want them to be analyzed anonymously on this podcast, tell me everything. <laughs> so please email your bad date stories to the date escape podcast at gmail.com. Once again, that's the date escape podcast at gmail.com. It would mean the world to me for you all to rate and review this podcast wherever you listen. Your words of encouragement and also constructive criticism mean the world to me. So please rate and review this podcast wherever you listen. And while I never wish a bad date upon anybody, if you do find yourself unfortunately in a bad date situation, always remember to look for the exit signs in case you need to make the date escape. Thanks everyone. I'll see you next time.